Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That mellow disc of grass that was the cricket ground has gone now. A football pitch marked out and goalposts stabbed into the square. The grass grows the boundary mark away and that glorious oval fades, forgotten by sharp angles, studs and swearing. Retreat from the field now with me Its gentle seasons will come again, and the angry angles will fade too. We will hibernate, waiting in the moon underwater. clock is about to chime. Mm, not again. And do you know the sound it makes when it chimes? It's a cross between a buzz and a bell. I don't think it is. I don't know what clock you've been listening to. Okay, go well, on. Let's, let's hear what the chime is. Oh, right. Sorry, oh, yeah. and that signals, I believe, our guest approaching the door because he is on the pips. He is punctual. And that's what we like here at the Moon Underwater. And in strides, and may I say, with quite a lot of quite of ornate robes and regalias on him, which I think is befitting of his status, the one and only Dave Gorman. Welcome, Dave. Good evening, gentlemen. I don't I don't feel like I stride often, but I'll take it. <laughs> so Dave, you're not a strider, but you've crossed over from the other realm to the correct realm in which the moon underwater reveals itself. Yes, I shuffled. I shuffled. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And that's quite a canny play uh, when it comes to crossing the realms because the shuffle, it just means it doesn't affect too many of your internal organs and your internal desire matrices. Yes. I I think what it's trying to avoid is is having very firmly a foot in both realms at the same time, trying to just shuffle across very quickly, furtively. Yeah, but if you need something from the other realm, you can just grab it, yeah. you know, 
absolutely. So, Dave, talk to me about the Dave Gorman pub relationship. Um, well, I, I grew up in a town called Stafford, but in my teenage years, I was a very, very young-looking teenager. I was very much amongst my cohort, uh, the one who was least likely to get away with being served in a pub. So I didn't have a lot of experience in pubs in, in those formative years, 16, 17. Even at 18, I would regularly be challenged uh, for ID um, and stuff. So that I didn't do a lot of pub drinking at that age. They, uh, there were a couple of pubs that we'd sort of everyone from school would try and get into on New Year's Eve. Uh, but they were uh, estate pubs. Those kind of modern things built at the same time as the housing stock around there. So the 60s or 70s, depending on which, either the, the crossbow, as it used to be called, that then became the Linton Tavern that then closed, or the Wildwood. Wait, it was called the Linton, the Linton Tr- Tavern? Yeah. Yeah, like the t- Linton Travel Tavern. Travel Tavern. Before yeah. Alan Partridge, we had a Linton yeah. Tavern in Stafford. <laughs> Maybe that's why it closed. Yeah. Maybe Partridge killed it. I don't know. But I, I, they were the pubs we wanted to get into because they were the pubs we could walk to from our house. And that's where the rest of your year at school was trying to sneak in for a New Year's Eve drink or whatever. But they weren't particularly charming pubs. There's nothing wrong with a pub built in the 60s. But if you try and put the horse brasses up and make it into an ersatz version of what you think a pub is meant to be, it sort of falls between two stools, I think. And that's what they were doing. Not that I necessarily appreciated that at the age of 17 when I was trying to sneak into them. Most of my early drinking was done... I was in a youth theatre that used to meet at the theatre in town. And so most of my teenage drinking would have been done in the theatre bar where we'd be sitting in a little corner out of the way and one of the older boys would go and get me a drink. I'm really interested by those sort of pub-adjacent early drinking experiences because for me it was always the local cricket club where I played where there was sort of... It was almost like the normal rules didn't quite apply if they knew you. And also those places are sort of like slightly off the radar of the authorities in a in a way yeah absolutely because it's effectively a kind of members club and if there's a kind of i know you i know your parents no one's getting into trouble for this we'll be okay what are the chances of the police coming down you know it's the local cricket club is not the hotbed for criminality (laughs) no in any town also, if you'd been playing like King Lear, the makeup would probably have helped throw them <laughs> yeah, off the set. True. Yeah, I don't think we ever did anything as challenging as that in our youth theatre. Uh, more some cheesy musicals and the like. I I remember the the last nights of the school play being pretty big for furtive teenage drinking. Our our drama teacher would open up the drama sort of annex. Yeah, after hours. And everyone would get in a pretty dangerous state of drunkenness. Yeah. And he would sort of oversee it as almost like they're letting off steam. They've had a stressful week. Um, look, it, sounds, back, it would, sounds bad. It, now, that, doesn't that it? would be very dangerous in this day and age, I yes. suspect. 
our school, I don't think even the parents were having a drink at the end, last day of the school play. It was still sort of a, a glass of weak orange squash yeah. for the parents. So I don't think any alcohol was around. What was sort of drinks were you having in the theatre bar? Um, rum and Coke. Oh, yeah. Has, has remained my drink of choice uh, for most of my life, basically. You know, when you first have a drink as a kid, almost everyone who on their first taste of alcohol, like a glass of wine at dinner or the first time you taste beer, it most people as kids, it's like, ugh, ugh, what are grown-ups doing with that? Ugh, it's horrible. And I'd sort of tasted beer and didn't like it and I wasn't interested in alcohol. And what I knew was on holiday, my mum used to buy a bottle of Bacardi on duty-free take it into the hotel with her, pour it into a little plastic shampoo bottle, take it down into the hotel bar, buy a Coke and dose it up with Bacardi herself. What a lady. Yeah. Uh, it's partly poverty and partly habit. Yeah. So there was a kind of, you know, we're not paying. We're not paying hotel bar prices for alcohol. We'll do it on duty free and we'll sneak it in. So I had the phrase rum and Coke in my head. And then one New Year's Eve... I've got a twin brother, and me and my twin were at home, too old to be in, but not old enough to be out, in that awful kind of stage of childhood. And we thought, let's have a drink. My mum and my stepdad have gone out, let's have a drink. And we opened the drinks cabinet, and I'd heard of rum and coke, and I saw a bottle of rum. It wasn't Bacardi, which was actually what my mum used to drink on those holidays. It was a, a bottle of Lamb's Navy rum, Oh, love it, love it, love it. Poured that, poured some Coke on it, tasted it and went, that's lovely. Because it was sugar and sugar and I was a child. And sugar <laughs> is delicious. And did this night end with being unbelievably ill? I, I, do you know what? I didn't. Wow. I've, I had a lovely rum and Coke and got pleasantly drunk and it was delicious. Wow. I have at home, we, we have a, a six-year-old boy um, uh, at the moment, and I can't remember how old he was, and, and this will probably get me some awful complaints and people will email and tell me I'm a terrible parent, but at some stage, obviously before now, and he's six now, so I'm imagining he was four, he expressed an interest in having some wine at dinner. Mummy and Daddy were both having some, can I have some? And we thought... We'll be cool parents, we'll be a little bit French, we'll give him a tiny little sip, and he'll go, Ugh! Yeah. And that'll put that to bed for many years. And he tasted it and went, Mmm, delicious. <laughs> and it's been a terrible mistake, because he wants it every time now. Um, oh, wow. And we've had to say, no, no, we're trying to put you off. I love the idea and the image of, of your mum in that bar, sneaking the Bacardi into the Coke, and maybe the bar stuff going, it's... Is she putting booze in that drink? And they're like, no, 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 it's just shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, sorry. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think it was, um, it wasn't like a branded shampoo bottle. I think it was one of those travel bottles that you would use to transport some shampoo uh, on your journeys. Uh, but she used one of those and she's got to like clip the lid and pour it in beneath her skirts under the hotel <laughs> bar table. Well, I do know another comedian whose father decants hotel shower gels into a big shower gel. <laughs> so he has this sort of 
this sort of half litre bottle of shower gels made up of about 50 different shower gels, which he then uses at home. Isn't that an Alan Partridge thing from the Oust House where he, he makes his own aftershave? Oh, <laughs> <Do> you remember <laughs> that? He has like a little bit from here. I like the idea of mixing different shower gels together because it all it'll sort of, I imagine, layer a little bit with different kind of pearlescent... Yes. A little bit like one of those sand patterns you used to make when you yes, went to the Isle of Man right. as a kid or whatever. My thought it was that it would just go brown with all the different colours, but I don't think that would happen. I think you're I think you're right, Dave, there. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Dave, your comedic style, in fact what you're known for, and not just known for, but pretty much helped invent, is the idea of taking something quite small or some sort of a, a kernel of an idea and taking it to its past its nth iteration, sort of really going to town on a small idea. Yes. You know, the first thing I think I watched of you was, are you Dave Gorman? Uh-huh. And it it works because you make it so big. It It's sort of... Because that was a stage show first, and then it became a TV show. And when we turned it into a TV show, one of the things the producer was sort of saying to me was should we get a name expert in to tell you what your name means? And, and they were, you could see they were trying to think, what else can we do to this? And I had to kind of dig my heels in and go, no, the minute you do something like that, you're admitting the story isn't enough. Yeah. And the minute the story isn't enough, it hasn't got enough elastic tension to stretch across the whole series. You might as well not bother doing it. And also... A name expert is bollocks and my name doesn't mean anything. And I'm not interested in it. There's no such thing. And it's like turning it into a feature on the one show instead of doing it properly. And it's the nervousness of a TV executive of will this stretch? Whereas the point is, we're going to keep stretching this and we could do it forever and it will never break. Mm. And the minute you step away from that, you've stopped stretching it and the audience smells that you're fearful of it. And then it falls apart. So when you applied your massive brain <laughs> to the task of creating your dream pub... Yes. Was it was it quite an easy task, or was it something that took up perhaps more time than you would have ideally liked? Um, I, I found it quite challenging, because... Well, for a start, I don't like beer, and I've never really liked beer. I very occasionally, maybe... Um, more on holiday with food, but occasionally with the right kind of food. If we're having tortilla, I might have a pale ale or something at home. But I basically don't drink beer. And I know most people's association of a pub is beer. And I sort of, I just have zero opinion on it. Uh, and so I was kind of forcing myself to confront that as the first hurdle. And I found it quite challenging. Well, I, there's definitely drinks I have zero opinion on so I don't I like you I very rarely drink lager so I have never I think gone into a pub and had a pint of lager maybe once in fact I think I had a pint of Asahi with you Rob yeah in the the windmill um just by uh just by Lambeth Bridge sorry that's quite a specific memory <laughs> yeah no I, I, I remember it <laughs> I, you know and I might have a bottle of ice cold lager if it's one that ice can sort of tolerate but you know, my nightmare is walking into a dressing room and seeing four bottles of Bex on a table at room temp. Yeah, no, me me too. And I I think even when people go on about 
oh, that's awful, and it's normally, I don't know, like carling or skull or something, they taste like the others to me. Yeah. <laughs> they don't taste worse. They don't taste better. They don't taste different. Lager tastes like lager, and I don't really like it. Mm. I'm the same, but I do like it. I'm yeah, everyone <laughs> likes the fact they all taste the same. Yeah. What about in terms of what your dream pub would look like? Have you got sort of pubs in your mind from maybe touring or growing up that you've thought, yes, this is this is where I want to be when I go to a pub? Yeah, I think there's, there's an amazing pub... Um, uh, near Oxford Circus in London, called the Champion, which has got these amazing uh, stained glass windows all around it, mm. which changes the atmosphere inside. So you can go in there on a sunny afternoon, and suddenly the light changes, and you don't know if it's afternoon or evening, and that's good for a pub because. You shouldn't really be drinking until the evening, and it's nice to kid yourself that it is the evening and let that happen. Um, and the stain, uh, like I said, it's called the Champion. The the windows portray champions of old. So it's like W. G. Grace from cricket, but it's also Florence Nightingale. Um, there's one I can't remember his name, but he was the first man to swim the Channel. And there, the the kind of these huge stained glass windows. And I'd always thought, oh, that is amazing. It's obviously an old building. What an amazing time when they put those in. And then I discovered they put them in in 1989. <laughs> and it's a complete con, but it got me and I love them. And I want stained glass. A bit like what you were saying about the Linton Tavern, when you said, oh, it's built in the 60s, but they sort of tried to make it look like it had been there for hundreds of years. I don't mind that if the pub is actually really committed to it. So... The, the champion could have just put up photos of WG Grace, a load of old cricket bats they bought at auction. That's quite a common thing you see in pubs. But the fact that it, they've put it in the fabric of the building, I quite like. Yeah, that it, it gets away with it because you wouldn't know. They they could absolutely be windows that have been there for 100 years. There's no way of knowing. Um, so it fooled me, so I'll take it. That's fine. There is that thing that happens sometimes with hotels, I find this a lot on tour, and they're my least favourite sort of hotel. You end up going down some long, winding drive to what appears to be a grand country house, and you walk into the lobby, which is in a grand country house, and they give you a key, and you walk on a really strange series of corridors and find yourself in the 1960s annex <laughs> that has been attached. And you think, how did I get here? How is this is a con? The whole thing's an artifice. Nobody actually stays in the posh bit in the middle. You've bought, you've built these annexes full of weird, awful kind of formica MDF furniture that aren't. There's no soul in those places. I'd rather be in an honest one of those places in the city centre that is just that and doesn't pretend to be anything other than that, than have a long gravel drive and a golf course that ends up in that anyway. I think the word honest is very important in a pub. And I think it's something, and I'm not sure if any guest has used that word specifically before, but it's something that comes up a lot, is it's sort of got to, it's got to be in, it's got to have integrity to what it is. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, let's start your journey into creating your dream pub. You've said that you don't like beer, you don't drink beer, and that's absolutely fine. What are you picking for your two draft options? Uh, well, I am going to have a beer. I'm going to have Guinness on the grounds that I don't like Guinness, but I like people who like Guinness. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Guinness drinkers, as you are, um, are generally gentle souls. I, they are patient souls. It, it goes with the territory. You have to have some patience uh, and they care about it. They want it to be done properly. These are all traits that I like in people. And I've never had an argument with anyone who was drinking Guinness. I've had arguments with people who are lagered up. A cider, definitely. But Guinness, never. That's such a good observation. I mean, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for being great because I drink Guinness, but <laughs> you're so right. It's sort of a certain type of person. And like, I wouldn't feel threatened if a group of lads came and sat down next to us and they were all drinking Guinness, weirdly, even no. though that's... No, yeah. exactly. It doesn't trouble you, does it? It's also, you can't you can't drink it quickly either, is, can you? So you can't just yeah. swill it down. Exactly. You have to take yeah. your time with it. It's thick, like, you know, it's creamy. Yes. You don't just have to be patient while it's poured. You then have to be patient while it's consumed as well. Yeah. And I would ban the, uh, I would ban adulterating it in any way. So if anyone wanted to put some blackcurrant in it, that's not happening. You can have a Guinness or you can have something else, but you can't have Guinness and something else. You're not dropping a shot of any kind into it or do any of that kind of stuff. So unadulterated Guinness is Dave Gorman's first choice for his dream pub. What's the second one? Um, I hope you'll let me have this as a on draft. I'd like mulled wine. Yes, mm. because I've seen it on draft. I've seen it on draft. Yeah. It can be done, and it's. I said earlier you should only really be drinking in the evening. I think mulled wine is one of those things that makes complete sense at eleven in the morning in the right circumstances. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, at Christmas in the winter. I tell you what, it makes a beautiful smell for a house to carry with it throughout the day. Yes. I'd rather the smell than the drink, to be honest. Would you? Yeah, I'm not a fan of the drink. 
Well, that's all right, because you will have the smell for free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's good. I like seeing the kind of things floating around in it with all those, you know, what they cloves. Yeah. I, I think sometimes with homemade mulled wine, people go a bit heavy on the fruit. Right. And you can end up with sort of disintegrating oranges and lemons. Yeah. Yes, it's not sangria. No, exactly. It's, uh, it's, uh, and it has to be a good dose of brandy in it mm. um, for it to be proper. But when it's got a bit of punch and warmth, and again, I think a drink that forces you to take it a bit slowly, mm. which I like. I like patience in people. Yeah, you, no one's downing mulled wine at the bar and slamming down the empty glass <laughs> and, and then singing a song. <laughs> I suppose it's like win, winter pims, isn't it, really? Uh, mulled wine. You know um, I mean? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Although I'm, I feel like, no, I'm, I'm giving you too much there. It's not. Yeah, it's not, is it? <laughs> it's no. not. I yeah. think it predates Pims by a couple of, maybe a couple of thousand years. <laughs> maybe Pims is summer mulled wine. Yeah, I just was think, liking the idea that each season has a, a, a drink you kind of associate with it, you know, like spring grosh or something. Well, there's definitely... I mean, you're bound to sell more of it in the winter. That is true. But the smell is so delightful. I I would have it on year-round. I think that would be a great USP for a pub to have year-round mulled wine. Let's go to the pub, pub, pub. Well, we move on now to cans and or bottles. Right, it's going to be bottles. Yep. Not really interested in the cans. Um, I, I, I want to go wine. Mm. Um, now, I'm slightly unsure as to the nature of the pub I'm constructing. Am I the landlord? Am I a customer? Do I have to be concerned about the pricing structure? So the pricing structure is irrelevant. This is the pub you want to walk into... However, you, I think you do also sit on the committee. Right, but okay. But you're not, you're not having to answer to customers going, this is a rip-off or I don't like this. This is your basically your place to invite people to. Okay. I'm going to have a red wine and a white wine. Mm. And I was torn on the red wines between one that was very expensive and one that was dirt cheap. And they were both great. And I would never in my life pay for the really expensive one because it was way too much, but it was delicious. So many years ago, I, I toured the States and it was quite a traumatic experience in lots of ways. But the very first place on the tour, I was doing a, t- a week in each town uh, and I did a week in Napa in California, which oh, is yes. wine territory. And... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola has a vineyard out there and someone who works for him, isn't it? he was completely unaware of my existence, but someone who works at his winery came and saw the show and then sent me an email and said, would you like a tour of Francis Ford Coppola's winery? And I said, yes, absolutely. And so I went along and had this very interesting afternoon, showed me all this stuff, told me all the tales of how he'd uh, come to get into wine I don't know how much of it's true, but in her telling of it, he'd bought this old winery that had sort of gone to seed. He wasn't planning to get into wine. He just wanted the the big house and the land and a place for his family to relax and whatever. 
And when he was there, he found a really old bottle of wine from back in its heyday that was probably like a hundred years old or whatever. And he took it round to his next door neighbour and they had dinner one night and thought, let's open it. And they opened this hundred year old bottle of wine and poured it and it was divine. And he thought, if that's what my land could produce, I'm going to make it do it again. Oh. And he got into the whole idea and he started making really nice wine. And this woman showed us all around and showed us all the workings. And at the end of it, she opened a bottle of wine that I think was $100. Um, and I would never in my life spend $100 on a bottle of wine. And my God, it was good. Oh, yeah. It was so, so good. Did you know it was $100 before you drank it? No. And well, she worked there. This must be a thing they do. But at some point, if someone had said to me, we've got this $100 bottle of wine, shall I open it? I would have thought this is a scam. Once I've said, yes, I'm committed to buying mm. something. I can't. <laughs> I don't want to walk away with two of those in my bag because I was so grateful and didn't know how to say thank you without doing it. But she opened it and poured it and, and tasted it. And she said, what do you think? And we were effusive with our compliments. And eventually she said, well, it's, it's one of our top of the range. And it was, I think it was like $98 or something. Um, whatever that translated to at the time, if it was an 80 quid bottle of wine, what it wasn't was eight times better than a 10 pound bottle of wine. <laughs> yes. It was amazing, but it wasn't, I, there's no, I just couldn't ever, I just, I'm the son of a woman who poured Bacardi from a plastic bottle <laughs> between her skirts, right? There's, I just don't have it in me to spend that much on wine, but it was delicious. I think it was called Archimedes. I think you're right, Dave, because I've looked it up in my mind. Yeah. And I've I've found it. It's now retails at $120. That's probably a bit of inflation. Yeah. This would have been 2005, something like that. Yeah. It's got the taste profile is mocha, cassis, clove and tobacco. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Which I think makes... I think if you like wine that tastes of tobacco, that suggests you're a very sort of refined palate <laughs> is that just because you like smoking? Yeah, but I think it's just quite a cool flavour note to yeah, give. Yeah, okay. What kind of what wine are we talking about? Was it a Pinot Noir? So, area? well, Robin, it's 80% Cabernet Sauvignon, 7% Petit Verdo, 7% Cabernet Franc, and 6% Malbec. And I know what your next question is going to be. What's the pH level? It's 3.61. <laughs> it was delicious. I can tell you that. Oh, well, I, I think for the story alone, we have to have that's got to be your red wine choice because what was your other option? Well, my competition for the red wine uh, was once I was in the south of France and I, I'd just gone for a walk around these villages and I walked up what I thought was a country lane that turned out to be the driveway to a farm and I realised, oh, this isn't actually going towards the next village. It's just coming into the courtyard of this farmhouse. And this very elderly Frenchman, like central casting, very big, baggy, blue cotton jacket and trousers, <laughs> a, a farm man. Farmer is the word. Uh, <laughs> we have one for that. Uh, kind of wandered out. He didn't speak English. I don't speak French. Uh, but between us, we worked out that it wasn't just an ordinary farm they made wine here and he showed me into the barn and they had three enormous 
big stainless steel vats of their wine. And the only difference between them, if you, you know, what are they? What grape is it? No information. What was the alcohol content? That's what he could tell me. And you had weak, medium and strong red wine. <laughs> oh. And he put little glasses under and, and let me taste them. And I bought six bottles of the medium. Yeah. And it was about three euros a bottle. Wow. Just, this sounds like a kind of grown-up Goldilocks tale here. Yeah, <laughs> he just got some, you know, some other people had left empty bottles. They were cleaned out. That's what they just filled them up and corked them there in front of you. And it was dirt cheap. And again, it was absolutely delicious. And it was as short a journey from producer to consumer as is remotely possible. And it was also absolutely delicious. I like that story too. Mm. Yeah. So which are you going to choose? And don't let price be the issue because this is sort of dream territory. Just the <laughs> clock going again. <laughs> it's getting um, quicker all the time, isn't it? Yeah. I will. I, I think I'll go with uh, Archimedes. Wow. Yeah. Archimedes from the Francis. Uh, I'll just get the name right for people. The family Coppola, it's called. Yeah. It was very, very, very good. And also, it's certainly not a medium-strength wine at a punchy 14.9%. Yes, I'll have some. One of, if not the most delicious red wine I've ever had. Mm. It's something we've discussed on here before, but it's my my name for it is the headphones price-to-value ratio. And it's a, a £40 pair of headphones is four times better than a £10 pair, but a £400 pair is not ten times better than a £40 pair. But they are slightly better. Yes, absolutely. There's a sliding. It's a I don't know. There's a there's a word for that curve, and I can't think what it is. But it does sort of. It starts to level off and head towards a mean at some point. Yeah, it's sort of. It's the opposite of exponential. Yes, or maybe not the opposite. I don't know. I'm not very good with maths, but I I am quite good with headphone pricing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm supposed to be good at maths, but I'm not. <laughs> I abandoned all that stuff. So what would the white wine be? Uh, the white wine would be um, a Viognier and almost any Viognier. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a wine I first tasted when I was in Napa. I'd never really heard of it before. And it's kind of fruity. There's an apricotty something that comes with it. And in my experience since then, whenever I've seen Viognier on a menu... I've ordered it and my companions have always been impressed because just saying, I can have the Viognier, conveys something extra to people that saying Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay or whatever doesn't do. Yeah. Sancerre's really, really filled that gap for me. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And it's, it just conveys something. I don't know why. And there's something about it. I think it's meant to be quite a difficult grape to grow and it, I've had four pound bottles of Viognier that have been amazing. I've had 15 quid bottles of Viognier that are amazing. I've never, ever, so far, touch wood, had a bad Viognier. I bought two bottles this morning for £4.70 in Asda. £4.70 a piece. And I trust them. Well, I think as you're, you're hiding your light under a bushel here, Dave, because I think you know that they're difficult because they're prone to powdery mildew. Well, <laughs> is that right <laughs> yeah yeah and that's uh that's obviously a big a big problem for your vintners 
Um, sorry, that's someone who sells wine. There's something about it that means if you've succeeded in growing it and making it into wine, you're already better than someone making it with one of those easy grapes that anyone can grow. Like, I've had bad Chardonnay and good Chardonnay. I've never had a bad Viognier. I guess also if you're choosing to grow a grape that's difficult, by nature, you must be someone who takes a lot of care over the wine production because it would be too costly to mess it up all the time. Exactly. Yeah. That. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the lovely bit of um, in the Sideways film, isn't it? When they're talking about, which is, I mean, is it in Napa that where, where they yeah, go in, yeah. in Sideways? Yeah. yeah. But that, that's the big discussion about Pinot Noir is like the reason it's the nicest wine is because it's the most difficult grape to kind of look after, isn't it? There you go. Yeah. Can I can I introduce a sommelier um, to my pub? Yes, you can. <laughs> I would I would like as a sommelier a man who owns an Indian restaurant in New York where I ate once. 2015, I think. I was doing um some shows in New York. I was staying in a hotel in the mid- in Midtown and there was a blizzard and there was a travel ban and they you weren't allowed to drive into the city, you, trains weren't running, the subway was closed. There was like two or three days where the city just got shut down. And being in the middle of Manhattan when everything shuts down is kind of weird. And it was really thick snow and it was really hard to get anywhere. And I was a bit bored of the catering options of the hotel. And I put on some big boots and pulled on a heavy jacket and I went for a walk just to see if I could find anything else open. And most businesses were shut. And like the theatre where I was meant to be working was shut. So I had all this time to myself. And a, less than a block away, I found this Indian restaurant. And I went in and it was, it was amazing that it was open. Uh, and I was the only customer for ages. And I had a really very, very nice Indian meal. And while I was in there, this family of American tourists came in. Midwest people, every one of them. It was father, mother, and two kids, but the kids were teenagers and all of them were six foot and as wide as a pool table. They were just these enormous Midwest people. And I don't think, I might be projecting onto them, but I don't think a curry would have been their first choice. (laughs) Uh, They've come to New York for the delights of New York. Suddenly it's all closed. This was their only option, so they've gone in. But they're being brave and they're going for it. They're on the menu, they're ordering stuff. And the guy who runs it says, would you like uh, anything to drink? And they go, oh, how about some wine? Should we have some wine? Let's have some wine. And he goes, okay, well, what would you like? And the mum says, can I try the Pinot Grigio? <laughs> and he didn't register that she'd said Pinot. He just said, well, with what you're eating, you probably don't want to have a white. Might I recommend the Merlot? Oh, and nice. I don't know to this day. Whether he also doesn't know how to pronounce the wines or is so good at dealing with people that he just went, I'm going to run with their vernacular and throw it back at them. And I thought that was so wonderful and lovely and how you should deal with customers. Oh, absolutely. That I I want him. Oh, you can have him. Also, something we've discussed before, but given how well wine pairs with Indian food... It's remarkable how few Indian restaurants have a decent wine list. Absolutely. And also it's quite rare, for, this is from friends of mine, to find a good curry house in New York because we've got a friend who moved to America. We have a couple of friends who live in America who say the one thing they miss is a 
sort of proper Indian meal. Yeah, it is. It is hard to find. Um, there are three that I know of that I've been to in New York that are all right because I've spent twice. I've lived in New York for three months at a time. Really, um, and those in three months, it's sort of it's not really living somewhere, but it's also not visiting as a holiday maker anymore. Yeah, and you you start to find some ways around. Well, that what a lovely addition to Dave Gorman's dream pub. The sommelier owner of the Indian restaurant he found in a blizzard, who dealt with customers so very kindly. Dave, we're now going to head over to the Moon Underwater pub quiz. Uh, that's. The little child of the lovely Robin Allender. So, Robin, what have you got for us this week? Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. The little child. I don't know. I sort of ran, I, I, I started a sentence I couldn't finish. You no, know, I do that all the time. Yes, thanks, John. Welcome to the Moon Underwater pub quiz. This week, to celebrate the fact that we have the Google Whacker himself in the Moon Underwater, I have written a quiz all about Google, specifically Google Doodles, those temporary alterations of the logo on the Google homepage that celebrate anniversaries, holidays, and notable historical figures. And this quiz happens to be all about Google Doodles that were related to music and musicians. So three questions about Google Doodles. Are you a pub quiz fan, Dave? Um, yes. It's been a long time. It's actually been a long time since I've been in a pub. I've got a six-year-old and I don't get to pubs very much and I don't drink when I'm on tour. So I definitely don't get into pubs. Even the times when I'm child-free are not drinking times for me. And also, so. your, your six-year-old's too busy dra dragging you around Majestic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I haven't been in a pub for a long time, but I used to be... Um, I used to be in a pretty good pub quiz team. We used to go to a pub called The Horse and Jockey in Manchester, uh, where there was a great pub quiz. And I was in a team with a, a bunch of people... You know, one of them's a professional broadcaster, a DJ, but they, the three or four people in that team were all really, really good on music, and I'm not. And what would happen is I would pick up two or three points that were really weird and obscure, while everyone else had answered everything and had carried with them the assumption that we could all answer anything. So as far as they were concerned, oh yeah, I knew that as well. Yeah, What was the B-side on that? Everyone, everyone's <laughs> got that. They assumed I knew all that stuff, which I didn't. And then there'd be a question, how tall is Leo Sayer, five foot two? <laughs> <laughs> Gorman's a genius. And little do they know, I've just got really weird little bits of ephemera in my head and none of the stuff that you're supposed to know. <laughs> Um, so it's three questions, and we'll have the answers in part two. So question one, on May the 13th, 2012, the Google Doodle team created a fully playable and recordable Google logo synthesizer. You could use your mouse and keyboard to control the keys and knobs and fiddle with oscillators and envelopes. The Doodle was created to celebrate the birthday of which electronic music pioneer? That's your question one. Right. Question two. Which composer did the Doodle team celebrate on March the 21st, 2019? 
when they created a doodle that used artificial intelligence to make music. When a button was pressed, the doodle used machine learning to harmonise a user-created melody into the composer's signature music style. Okay. That was a cl- from the classical world there, number two. And question three. On September the 5th, 2011, an animated clip was created by the Doodle team to celebrate what would have been the 65th birthday of which musician? So those are your three questions about the Google Doodles. Oh, I should have pointed out to you, Dave, Robin's pub quizzes are so hard that no one has ever got any of the questions right. What was the year for the third question? Um, It was September the 5th, 2011. Okay. And celebrating what would have been the 65th birthday of which musician? That hasn't helped me. Okay. I thought it was going to help me. <laughs> okay, well, sorry, I was trying to work out what's 65 off 2011. But I can do that uh, while we recharge our glasses and maybe pop for a wee in one of the moon underwater's 50 different toilets. Uh, <laughs> each more confusing than the last. <laughs> Uh, But we thank Dave Gorman for the first section of his Dream Pub and do stick with us, folks, for part two, which will feature Dave Gorman's Dream Pub companion available to Patreons only. So head over to moonunderpod.com to subscribe on Patreon, to get the extra content, to get the bonus podcasts, to get the Patreon's poem and to get advanced ticket warning of live events. But until then, we'll see you very shortly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.